All right, I'm going to prep us with where we're headed this morning. So I want you to think about this question, okay? Put this question in your mind and think how you would answer this question. Last time you were sick. Now, I have some COVID fatigue from just talking about it. Every group I go into, there's little circles. I've gotten to the point where I'll go into a circle and they'll start talking that way. I'm like, can we just take a break? So this can't be part of the discussion. All right, it's real, we're dealing with it, blah, blah, blah. But some other sickness, because there are other sicknesses you may have experienced out there. Um, what is the magical cure? So if you found a magical cure that fixed something, what is that? Was it grapefruit with salt? Was it, uh, someone told me something about llama blood recently. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. I'll tell you about it later, maybe. Uh, essential oils, whatever your thing is, we're not gonna judge whatever your thing actually helped you, okay? So in groups of like three, four, five, whatever, for like two minutes, you can share or not, but I want you guys to get to see each other face to face, introduce yourselves, answer that question, and then we're gonna jump into this. All right, what was the magical cure? It had to have worked, okay? All right, team, go. Okay, so I'm putting up the scripture, Mark 2.17. Okay, now we've, we've done this before. Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. And you hear that and you're like, okay, sure, sounds great. So there must be some healthy people around, right? When Jesus said he came for the healthy, he's not talking about the physical stuff. That's not what he's referring to. I came for people that had bad ankles. I came for people who were dealing with this or this or this. But to put it in context, when we've been sick, we've tried whatever it takes, haven't we? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, when you get really sick, you'll do whatever. My buddy, he had a bad back, and I was starting to get a bad back, and I'm like, what do I do here? And he goes, I just throw money at it, man. I'll do whatever it takes. And this guy is like, he's into money. <laughs> and he's like, I will do what it takes because I want this pain to go away. I got to the point so bad during one horrible season of sickness um, where we had tried everything, the whole, all the stuff that made my lungs fail. And I got to the point where the, this guy said, you know what, I know these aborigines. They're coming out of South America and they're going to be up here. This did not sound crazy to me at that time. Like as I'm saying it, you're like, oh, that sounds weird. When you're that sick, you're like, really? Could it work? Yes, and they have this poisonous frog. And what they do is they take the, the, the they pull the stuff on this outside skin and they put it in a needle and then they'll put it down your back and it resets your immune system. And I, that sounded like, all right, let's do this. I was all set to do it and then I got sent to the hospital and then I didn't get a chance to try the deadly frog healing thing. But I would try anything to make this go away. And the same way, like when I came to faith, I thought that once you, you start following the Lord that he's gonna change you and transform you so that you are no longer a jerk. Like, because that, I, I have these qualities in me where I get angry when I shouldn't, I get frustrated when I shouldn't, I'll get sarcastic when I shouldn't. I have these faces, and I'm like, oh, I recognize those faces, because those faces are what I grew up with. Like, oh, mm, you know, all those, and they're imprinted, and then I realize I'm making those same jerk faces to my kids, to my wife, to others, and I'm like, Lord, will you do whatever it takes? I will do what, whatever you want to take me through to make this go away. Do it, Lord. I want this taken away. And it didn't go away. I'm like, why is this still here? 
Like, does this mean I'm not a good enough Christian? Have you ever thought that? Or like, there must be something wrong with me because I'm a Christian, yet that is a myth. That is a full-on myth that you are eventually going to reach this 100% and then you'll be able to look around. And when Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy, you go, look, he didn't come for me because I got it all worked out. I'm healthy. I'm not one of the sick. When Jesus said, I came not for the healthy, but for the sick, he meant he came from everybody. <laughs> but the people that think they're healthy are never going to see what life he has to offer. But he's not going to take away everything in us so that we're now perfect. That is like a finish line that will never arrive and that's what causes such frustration in us. And of course, we're used to being told we need to succeed, we need to perform, we need to get certain grades, we're trained like that. So when we don't reach a certain point that for some reason we take this, these grades into our faith with Christ, we're frustrated. Like, what am I doing wrong? Is there a magical poisonous frog that will take care of this that the Lord has? Am I not just doing it right? That is a myth. That is not true. This myth of I'm going to be transformed, I'll be fully transformed, I'll be unrecognizable, I'll be a photoshopped version of my old self, you won't even recognize me. All of my failures, shortcomings, weaknesses, they'll fade away and I will triumphantly be sinless. Not because you want glory, you just want to not be so tired of being, feeling like a failure. And you feel like a failure because you believe in this myth. It's not true. And we're going to really dive into that, but we have to realize and be honest with where we are and what we think. There's a, a guy that I really, has really opened my eyes to this. He passed away years ago. Um, but he's had a huge influence on in me, and this is what he said. So I want to put it up here for you to see. The guy's name is Brennan Manning. And he wrote this amazing book, um, several books, but he, he was a priest, and he was a failed priest. became a full-on drunk. Like, as a Christian, then he became a drunk. <laughs> and then he became a priest. And then he was, he was literally in the gutter. And then the Lord just worked in his life and he goes, oh my gosh. And so then he, the, the book that this is from is called the Ragamuffin Gospel. Ragamuffin means just the beat up, the worn out, the tired. And so he says, the good news means we can stop lying to ourselves. The sweet sound of amazing grace saves us from the necessity of self-deception. It keeps us from denying that though Christ was victorious, the battle with lust, greed, and pride still rages within us. As a sinner who has been redeemed, I can acknowledge that I am often unloving, irritable, angry, and resentful with those closest to me. Now remember, a priest that travels around and speaks everywhere and trains other people, he's talking about himself. When I go to church, I can leave my white hat at home and admit I have failed. God not only loves me as I am, but also knows me as I am. 
Because of this, I don't need to apply spiritual cosmetics to make myself presentable to him. I can accept ownership of my poverty and powerlessness and neediness. That's one of the primary reasons why when we do come to church, on our way, we get in fights in the car. Because we feel like we have to put on the white hat. Every, all of that myth, all, of that li- all those lies come up and we, we are coming to be together. But we're also coming to be with the Lord and when we're going through that process, we're like, Ugh, you feel uncomfortable. Like stepping into a social situation where you feel like you don't belong. That's another reason why we don't even come to church. Do I really want to keep dealing with this? Like, it's not working. Because we think, like, if I go to church or if I follow Jesus, then it's going to fix everything and I'll be better. But it's not working. So really, why am I doing this? Because it's not working. Because we're buying into the lie. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to look at what Jesus said and what Paul said. And trust me, I was going to just, I was going to wear you out with the words of Jesus. I was going to have slide after slide after slide just to hammer it in, but I decided not to. I still have more than usual, but I just want you to hear not only the words of Jesus, but other people that have come through this. And the primary one that I want us to look at is with Paul. Um, Paul, pretty amazing dude. Um, This is from 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And I want to give you the background here. I want to give you the background on what happened before he said this. See, Paul was an apostle. We think of it as where he ended up. But you've got to remember where he started. Okay? He was the most judgmental. He thought he was the healthiest of the healthy. He was part of this group where that was what they were all about. They're super healthy. We got everything together. Everyone else needs to be like us. Religious people. Hardcore religious group. Well, then... He, so he went around making sure that Christians were murdered. He really went to go and have Christians murdered. Let, I got to put that word in there because we have to remember to associate that with Paul. Because it's so easy to go, oh, Paul, look, let's read the... You're reading the letters from a murderer. Doesn't sound right. Like, why am I listening to this guy? Well, he had this experience. He came to faith, and then he turned his back on this religious sect, so then they wanted to kill him. So the entire, this whole religion wanted to kill him because he's like, I can't, I saw Jesus. I, I can't, I can't not talk about him. I know I said this, but I was wrong. Well, let's face it, that's one of the hardest things to do, isn't it? To say, I thought this way and now I think this way. So he had this experience and he says he doesn't know how to explain it where I was taken up into heaven or was I, was I, was it a vision? I don't know, but the Lord was there and I got to see things that were amazing. So he goes through this and think if you have that experience and you've heard me share a similar one, you, you get to that place where you're like, whoa, look what I saw. And it can be very easy to be cocky about it, right? Like let's say you get a really good job and you get a promotion, promote, you start thinking, I'm kind of a big deal. And so he gets this, he gets this pride that starts rising up because he was able to see these things. And he says, but God gave me a thorn in my side to humble me, which is another way to say he gave me an issue, whether it was weakness, whether it was sickness, whether it was, could be his anger. He's like, okay, Lord, take this anger away because I saw this and you're doing this, but I'm still a jerk. If you look at the actions of Paul, he was a jerk (laughs) and he worked at it and worked at it, but still it was like there. So we don't know what the thorn in the side was. We don't know what his weakness was, 
but it was there. And he kept saying, Lord, take it away, take it away, take it away. And that's where we get to this right here. And God said to him, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So then Paul says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. One of the constant things that we hear about this community of faith is that people are like, wow, you guys are like really honest that you're messed up. Because when you know God's goodness, it's easy to talk about how messed, you up, messed up you are. Because it doesn't matter. It's not about you. Like what he says, your weakness is when my power can work. Like despite your stuff, I am still going to do amazing things in you and through you. I mean, that, you can hear that, but like, really? Because we're trained up in this world where like, we've got to get the gold medal. Some of us have gotten better at the gold medal. Some of us have given up. Look, like, I'm not even going to go for the bronze anymore. I'm just going to show up. But that whole line of thinking, that hierarchical thinking doesn't fit in this walk with Jesus. It's not how God created us to be. So I don't know what the thorns are that you're dealing with. I don't know what the things are like, why is this still here? I thought God was going to take this away. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's lying, jealousy, love of money, lust. Maybe it's just you really want to like this particular family member, but you can't. No matter how hard, Lord, take this away from me. I just want to strangle whatever it is. Maybe it's not a family member, it's neighbor, coworker, group of people, whatever it is. And you're like, I don't want to feel like this. Lord, take this away. Maybe it's possessions. Like, I really wish I didn't like to want all these things, but I want all these things all the time. Maybe it's shame. Maybe that's the thing you just can't let go of. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's anxiety. It's like, Lord, why is this still here? I thought that if I followed you, you would clean the slate and I wouldn't have any of this to deal with and I would be perfect. That's a myth. That's not real. I mean, when you think about Paul... As a murderer, you're like, wait, what? Why would the Lord reach out to this guy? Why would the Lord take a murderer and then use him? And it wasn't like Paul got all this glory. He didn't become a celebrity. Everybody was trying to kill him. So he went from this place where he was in silk sheets to where he's traveling on foot, falling out and getting thrown out of boats in the middle of the ocean because they think he's a curse. Like, wait, I'm following you, Lord. Why is this happening now? Why do I have all these difficulties? It shouldn't be this way. Remember what he said. He said, even with all my weaknesses, my trials, my tribulations, I will boast all the more because of you. Because you are my power. Not what I do. I will never have this power. I love what it says in Revelation. It says that at the end that all of the people, remember, these are all the sick, all of us. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude. This is John talking, that no one could count. People from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne, and in front of the Lamb, they were wearing white robes. And they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. And Paul, I try to think of the, 
the worst thing you could do is murder, right? Or close to it. I don't think there's really a hierarchy in that. But even he is going to be given a white robe. And it's not fair, is it? It doesn't seem right. And we look at ourselves and we think of who we are. And we go, it's not fair. I'm not doing this right. And then when something bad happens, that's not fair either. Our whole definitions of fair are off. And so you can expect to see people that have cheated others with creative financing. You will see married spouses that at one point were cheating on their spouse, wearing these white robes. You will see liars, cheaters, thieves, judgmental, porn addicts, substance abuse addicts, murderers, because the Lord is the one that makes us white as snow. I mean, I don't, again, I could have peppered you with all these scriptures that we are made white in the blood of the Lamb. Makes no sense when you say that, right? Like red and white, red is going to make white. What that means is that the price that Jesus paid makes us clean. Not us. It's not what we do that makes us clean. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So when we step back and think about this myth, I want you to now step back and think about how you may feel now or how you have felt or people you know feel. Um, you may feel tired. You may just be worn out. You may be sick physically, mentally, emotionally. You're stuck in a job you hate. Maybe you're a young person and you're confused and lost. And no matter where you are, you may be anxious, depressed, insecure, inadequate, and out of mental, physical, and emotional shape. But you are not just that. Do you hear me? You are not just that. You are his children. He loved you so much that he came and he died for you. He is the one that has made us white as snow. When we talk about who saints are, saints are sinners. There's a band, right? I love the name of the band, Saints and Sinners. Sinners and Saints? All right, I'll go with that one then. Sinners and Saints, like that's who we are. You're like, but you can't be both. Yeah, you can. We mess up, we're sick, we're tired, we got all this stuff going on, we're trying to fix it, something must be wrong with me, so how could I be a saint? Because I'm not a saint. So Sinners and Saints were the same. Romans 5.20 says this. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increases, grace increases all the more. And this is the way that the New Living Translation said it. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. And I want you to hear what I'm not saying. And that's exactly what Paul, who wrote this in a different letter to the people in Rome, the church in Rome, you can hear this and go, so it doesn't matter. I'll just keep, I can just sin more and more, right? It doesn't matter. In fact, if I sin more, there'll be more grace. And so he says, just right after this, he says, well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? So we're working 
with God and he's making us, transforming us. But if you think you're going to arrive at some place where it's all done and you're right where you need to be and everything's passed on, you are fighting a myth and you're just going to continually be frustrated. As we talk about loving God, loving people, about replanting this church, we need to have this figured out because we need to smell like this. People need to enter in and go, so it doesn't matter who I am or what I've done? Like, what? Come as you are? And let's face it, it's really hard for our brains to see this. I remember when we first planted branches, one of the elders, somebody showed up that he didn't invite that he went to school with prior, and this guy, like, should not be a church. And it threw him off because he's like, uh, uh, like he, he couldn't even go greet him because his gut told him, like, this guy shouldn't be here. <laughs> like, we have that within us. Let's not lie about it. It's there because we built up this, we built on this foundation of, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, and I'll arrive here. And of course, they have to do this, and they have to do this so they can arrive there. And this guy came in, and I remember, he's like, what do I do? So he came and pulled me off to the side. He's like, dude, I don't know what to do. I'm freaking out. Like, I know that we're a church where people don't go to church, but this guy's here. And I can't believe it. What am I supposed to do? I go, I don't know. Does it matter? <laughs> but that point is, is where people can enter in and we're like, oh yeah, this is going to happen. And this is a good thing. Because if I can be here, they can be here. And sometimes it's the flip. Well, if that guy is invited into the kingdom of God, then maybe I'm okay. Maybe, maybe I need to be reminded that Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. Those are my people. When you realize that, when you're honest with yourself, then come on in. So I'm on the Brendan Manning road right now. And I'll share this uh, one last quote from him. He says, when I get honest, I admit I'm a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I am trusting and suspicious. I am honest and I still play games. What I hope you're hearing is that you no longer have to play games. I'm a very competitive person. I hate to lose. And so when I take that and compare it to faith, it can be very frustrating. Life can get very frustrating. This is not a game. We don't have winners. God is the winner. And because we're aligned with Him, He makes us white as snow. And we need to be remembering that. Thomas Merton said it this way. He said, a saint is not someone who is good, but it's someone who experiences the goodness of God. When you experience the goodness of God, like what we're talking about this morning, when you go, yes, and when you get to experience that personally, that's what makes you a saint. Who he is, not who we are. And the, the message that most of us bring with us when we're fighting in the car or when we don't want to come or whatever it is that's the obstacle with being with the people of God, whether here or elsewhere, the message that we tell ourselves is do better, try harder. I know that if someone's ever visiting branches, if you bring someone, I know that's in their head. Okay, 
So they're going to tell me I need to do better and I need to try harder. That is not the gospel. That's us. We've thrown that in there. And so what we need to be reminded of, what this community needs to be, is not a museum of perfect people. It's not a museum for Christians. Like, oh, here are the ones. These are the ones. They've all arrived, and here they are. The museum, come and watch them work. This is a hospital for sinners where we come in and we're like, yeah? Yeah. All right. Let's redirect our focus. Let's remember what the Lord has done. He is to be praised. These songs, sometimes we sing and we forget what they're about. So I want to invite Ryan up with the team, and let's be reminded, yep, this is what he's done.